And so, dear friends, I have chosen this month to talk about various doorways to liberation on our Monday nights. And so, tonight I'm going to share the, an unexpe- a, a doorway that was unexpected for me. Uh, this is a doorway of joy. And I would like to, tonight to talk about a way to understand joy in the Buddhist understanding, some reliable and accessible sources of joy, and then the role of joy in awakening. And so... If you're like me, when I first heard that joy was an important and essential and fundamental part of our practice, I kind of thought, well, I think it's a nice side benefit. I think it's a nice kind of, you know, thing to enjoy at the end of your day. But I would like to really get to the meat and potatoes of it. I really get to the heart of it. So like, give me the real teaching. And I didn't, I didn't really see that joy, we could see joy as being one of the, the heart practices. I love what the Buddha said in the Dhammapada. Live in joy, in love, even amidst hatred. Live in joy, in health, even amidst affliction. Live in joy, in peace, even amidst troubles. Look within. Be still. Free from fear and attachment, know the sweet joy of the way. And so joy can be sustaining, can be nourishing, can be strengthening in the midst of things. And also the sweet joy of the way, referring to one way of understanding liberation, the sweet joy of the way. And so it's helpful to have a understanding of joy, what joy is. And because when I first also encountered this, uh, this teaching, I had this sense that joy was like this big thing. And, you know, this, it, it's, it, it's helpful to understand, helpful to reframe that it's not like Hollywood fireworks. It's not like a big, huge Hollywood thing. Joy can be really subtle. It can be very quiet. And yet it's sustaining. I like to think of it as an inner wellspring that we can always touch. Right now, as you're sitting, is there any, I like to say quiet joy. Joy is maybe like, sometimes joy is really big and really loud, but I like the quiet joy because it takes some of the expectation out of it. Take some of the high bar out. So quiet joy. Is there any quiet joy right now? 
just in. Is there a way to enjoy the breath? Is there a way to sit back and let yourself receive and notice non-striving? And I'll never forget one shocking thing I heard once from the in the Dharma Hall from Thich Nhat Hanh. I was sitting with him, beloved, beloved Thich Nhat Hanh, in uh, Colorado. And he was talking about the breath. And he said, find a way to enjoy your breath. And then this is the shocking part, he said. If you're not enjoying your breath, you're doing it wrong. Can you imagine Thich Nhat Hanh ever telling anyone that you're doing anything wrong? But that just stuck with me. And I always, ever after, how can I enjoy this breath? How can it be a refuge? I saw a New Yorker cartoon once years ago. It was two panels. Bob was in both panels. And in the first panel, something's whizzing by Bob's head. And Bob kind of says, what was that? Turns and looks, what was that? And in the next panel, it says, Bob experiences a pleasant moment. (laughs) It's kind of how we do it, right? We let them whiz by. And we want to spend some time with those moments. And I will say, I remember years ago, decades ago, I went to a workshop on joy. And they asked us to think about the, uh, the last time we felt joy. And I, I felt very, kind of very, well, it was challenging for me because I couldn't remember the last time I had felt joy. And now, friends, with this teaching, I can't hardly look anywhere without seeing it. And so I'd like to offer three sources of joy and then talk about how it supports awakening. And so one of my favorite suttas is the Niramisa Sutta. And it talks about joy. And it says, There is, O practitioners, worldly joy. There is unworldly joy. And there is a still greater unworldly joy. Sometimes this is translated as worldly joy and spiritual joy and then a more spiritual than spiritual joy. And so the worldly joy, the Buddha said, enjoy it. The worldly joy, the joy of the senses, the wonderful chocolate chip cookies that the cooks cook here, uh, the, the food, the sights of the window, these worldly pleasures, we can enjoy them. They're a source of nourishment. And the Buddha did say, just they're not, they're not a t- reliable source of nourishment because they're going to change. 
And I always like, I always thought, I always think of Richard Shankman talking about loving chocolate. He loves chocolate and he enjoys chocolate. And he says, I just don't expect chocolate to give me what it can't. It can't give me permanent happiness. It can't give me long-lasting happiness. But he enjoys it while he's got it. So this is worldly joy. And then unworldly joy. These joys are more internally generated joys. Joys that we can turn to. Independent or more independent of external conditions. And so the one of the traditional ways, places to look for unworldly joy is in the Buddha, the Dharma, and the Sangha, the way we reflected tonight. Just now, reflect inside. Is there a little unworldly joy? A little internally generated joy just from reflecting on the fact that we have the Buddha, the Dharma, the Sangha, these refuges. Bringing this to mind can bring a gratitude, can bring an uplift. Another unworldly joy, or we could say a practice joy, is a sense of calming that we can feel. It's pleasant. Or a sense of concentration, the, sen- the, the, the resting in concentration. We can enjoy that, take nourishment from it, and it's more inwardly generated. It still comes and goes, but it's more inwardly generated, more independent of external conditions. We can contemplate our own goodness. This can be a source of unworldly joy. We can practice the Brahma Viharas, metta, as an unworldly joy, an inner, inwardly generated joy, compassion that we can turn to in any moment. It's accessible, this care for ourselves and others as we cultivate this and cultivate um, equanimity, these can, and then tune into the pleasantness of them. These can be a nourishment, part of our inner wellspring that we can turn to. And we can reflect also on the absence of the hindrances. I think that state, that, those moments, are kind of like Bob in the cartoon, We notice the hindrances, but don't also as much notice the absence. And that's a joy. That joy. Now, and then traditionally, another unworldly um, invitation into joy is joy in another person's joy or another being's joy. This is the Brahma Vihara of Mudita. And of course the Dalai Lama has said that if we consider other people's joys, 
and can find some quiet joy in them, we increase our chances of being joyful by quite a lot. I want to expand that even more. I think let's 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 include all the not more than human beings in our circle. If we include those beings in our circle, we can have a lot more joy opportunities. Anybody enjoy the squirrels racing around? Like they look like they're yeah, I've been having some mudita from them. That's like an inner joy we can turn to. I remember years ago, not yet, no, a few years ago, I, I saw a video. I saw a video of a farm in Alberta, close to where I live. And on this farm, the goat had learned how to jump up on the horse's back by jumping on a bale and then jumping up on the horse's back. And then the goat learned how to steer the horse. He would paw the horse on the right side of its back and the horse would turn to the right. Then he would paw the, goat, the horse on the other side and the horse would turn to the left. And it steered the horse until the horse was standing underneath a tree and then the goat could eat all the bark and the twigs and the upper branches of the tree. I'm telling this story quietly with quiet joy because I know we're very still here. <laughs> but what's happening inside you? Is there a little mudita? What does that feel like? We can enjoy it. And then friends... Yeah, and there's just, there's just unlimited opportunities for mudita. Thinking of everyone who's eating the, the food that our beloved cooks are cooking, it's mudita. So this is an unworldly, accessible joy. These are accessible joys. And then, friends, there's a still greater unworldly joy. This, friends, is the joy of letting go. The joy of liberation. The joy, the, what, ha- what, what we can feel in our hearts and our minds when we let go a little bit of grasping, aversion, or delusion. And uh, this is a quote from Sutta. What And what is the still greater unworldly joy? When a practitioner looks upon their mind that is freed of greed, freed of hatred, and freed of delusion, then there arises joy. And so we can look for this in small ways, small tastes of a little bit of letting go little bit of release and notice we begin to train ourselves in being able to notice that small release. Venerable Nalio has said that our practice is a gradual refinement of joy. 
And Rachel Lewis, one of my colleagues, says that as Buddhists, we're pleasure, pleasure seekers. We just learn to seek more and more reliable pleasure. And friends, these, this unworldly joy is available even in the midst of trouble, even in the midst of affliction. I want to share a story from my community. I am Métis from Canada, from Red River Settlement area, and my background is Swampy Cree and Scottish on my dad's side. Swampy Cree and English on my mom's side. And in Saskatchewan, in Canada, where I live, we have a really, we have a lot of challenge with racism and we have a lot of reconciliation and healing. That is happening and has been happening. And it's beautiful to be a part of that. In June, we have National Indigenous Peoples Day. September, we have what's called Orange Shirt Day, which is a recognizing and healing around residential school trauma. And this last year, when we went to the Orange Shirt Day, we had a big gathering, there were maybe a thousand people there. And my Métis organization was organizing it along with the city of Saskatoon. They had speakers there from many, many different communities. And at the very end, and many of the survivors were there speaking, residential school survivors. And so, you know, we were listening and really, really feeling our hearts. And then at the end, we had a round dance. And I don't know if you've ever been in a round dance, but oh my gosh, it's such a beautiful experience. So by this time, there were about 500 of us still there. And we all joined hands in a big spiral. So someone starts in the middle, and then in extending circles, we all were holding hands, and we were kind of in in a little bowl with little hills, so you could see all the people up on the sides of the hills, this big spiral. And then the drums are drumming. And the round dance is you hold hands with the people beside you in the big spiral. And then you just step, step, step to the left with each drum beat. And that dance, in, at, at, you know, in the midst of all the suffering we had heard about, we had listened to, in, a, in, a, in the midst of the affliction, in the midst of the trouble, this was an affirmation, a quiet joy, not even so quiet. It was a joy of connection, of community, of solidarity, and that was the joy in the midst of things. And indigenous communities and other communities who experience oppression like that, know, I think, the importance of connecting into this sustaining joy. It sustains. And so this is a joy we can 
all connect into as a way of sustaining our hearts. And in Buddhist understanding, when I'm in, in a round dance, I always think, oh, it's a circle of emptiness. It's a circle of interconnection, interbeing. Oh, I, I can really feel it right now, this, this, the, the joy that was present at that, at that gathering. And so, friends, not only is joy a support in the midst of challenge and a, a support at all times, but it's also an opening into awakening, into this letting go. What a, that round dance was a, a letting go of solid separate self as well. The joy of that, you know, the connection of that. We weren't separate, we were so connected. But the role that quiet joy has in awakening might surprise you. I want to talk about some of the awakening maps and point to the role that joy has in these maps of awakening. And the arc of this is that we can, the general arc is that we touch into joy and this joy can calm the system. And then this calm Lead to can can deepen into concentration. Concentration supports us in clear seeing, and we can see the places that we're caught or clinging, and support ourselves to let go. Or the letting go can just happen on its own. So this is the arc of many awakening maps. Joy has a pivotal part at the very beginning. So here's a quote from Venerable Analio first. He says, um, and this is speaking to the power of joy to support this calming. He says, in the case of, for example, restlessness and worry in the mind, we can, um, anything that calms the mind will be helpful. A useful tool here is paying attention to the joy of being in the present moment. The quiet joy of being in the present moment. For example, the, we can rest, the resting in whole body awareness. Or for you, resting in whichever anchor for you is pleasant. Relaxing into this joy will allow the body or support the body and the mind to become calm and tranquil thereby directly opposing the tension and stress of restlessness and worry. So tuning into this quiet joy can calm the system. One of the ways that I sense this and I like to bring in, because it's accessible to all of us, is what we feel when this arc of joy and calming, I think think we can connect with when we connect with nature. I'll feel into uh, a, way, uh, a time in nature, a place in nature maybe today. You know, we can feel that kind of uplift. 
bit of a joy. I'm thinking right now, am I one of my favorite places? Or just looking around here. This is like, you know. But I think in my mind of going to the lake and opening the door of the car and the smell of the lake and the smell of the spruce. And there's an uplift and a joy. And then it doesn't take too long before the system kind of goes, and there's, there's the uplift. And, goes, and then it goes, does that make sense? There's a natural uplift and calming. Or if we go for a weekend in the country, we can arrive on Friday night, kind of wound up. By Sunday evening, something very often releases. Just by being out in the country. This is the arc of many of the liberation maps. It's tuning into a quiet joy which carries us to calm. Gatheredness. And that supports clear seeing and the letting go process. And so some of the maps that do this, one of the biggest, most map map that we refer to very often is the seven factors of awakening. And so mindfulness is the first one in there. And then we have investigation or inquiry or curiosity. This rises or lifts the energy a little bit, connects us to the moment because we're curious. That's the second factor. So there's mindfulness, inquiry, and energy in the seven factors. So once we get this energy, we feel a little engaged, a little curious. We're engaged with this moment. And that leads naturally into joy of being here joy of being in the present moment. And then once we touch that joy, the other factors just come naturally. It's like we fall in. So the next factor is calm. And then a deepening of calm into gatheredness. I like that word better, better than concentration. Into gatheredness. And then the last factor is equanimity. And an equanimous mind is ready to or ready to let go much more easily. And so it's ready for the awakening, the insight sequence, the awakening, the letting go. And so joy has a pivotal role there. The Anapanasati Sutta, which is a sutta we often um, return to for gathering instructions, for concentration instructions. The first verse of that tunes us into the body, the breath, and the body, and this helps calm the body. The second verse, guess what? Tunes into joy. Directly into joy. Joy and another flavor of joy, well-being. So when the body calms, there can be a little flavor of quiet joy and a quiet sense of well-being. We really want to tune into that. And this calms the mind. Then in the third verse of the Anapanasati, it starts out with more joy. A flavor of joy that's often translated as gladdening. So we gladden the mind. This supports the next part of that verse, which is steadying the mind. So the gladdening supports the steadying. This supports the release. 
And then in the fourth verse of the Anapanasati is about more about that release, how that release and that away that letting go of clinging happens in the mind and the heart. And so again, this really pivotal role of joy in and there's other maps, friends. It's just quite kind of amazing. The Kimata Sutta. The Kimata Sutta is a is has got twelve steps in it. It begins, and this is how it begins. It's it begins with resting in our goodness, um, skillful virtue. So your generosity, your kindness. So skillful virtue, the sutta says, has freedom from remorse as its purpose. Freedom from remorse as its reward. And then it goes on to say, and freedom from remorse or has joy as its purpose. Joy as its reward. Joy has gladness as its purpose. Gladness as its reward. Gladness has calming as its purpose. Calming as its reward. Listen to all the flavors of joy here. And then it says, and calmness has um, a happiness as its purpose. Happiness as its reward. And what is the pleasure of happiness? Or what is the purpose of happiness? Happiness has concentration as its purpose. Concentration as its reward. And so again we see this, once we get into joy, then there's different flavors of joy and that leads to calm and that leads to gatheredness. And then the rest of the sutta is about the letting go process. So this this sutta offers a different doorway into joy. The factors of awakening doorway was mindfulness, investigation, and energy. This has uh, resting in our goodness. And so when we think, for example, into the precepts, how beautiful, how beautiful that you are offering your generosity to the Sangha through the precepts. Every one of those is a gift to yourself and the Sangha. That's your generosity. So we can rest into our goodness. And I think our goodness is something that we often let, like Bob, fly over our shoulder. You know, when I, if I give a, a, a ride to someone who needs a ride, somewhere. They say, thank you. And I often hear myself saying, oh, no problem. I I was going anyway. Or if I give muffins to my neighbor and they say, thank you so much. Oh, no problem. I had a few extra anyway. You know, it's easy to slough off our goodness. You just slough off our kindness. Easy to let it zip over our shoulder. We want to, we want to abide there for a couple breaths at least. Let ourselves know it and know the quiet joy. When I let my, when I stop and really feel into giving my neighbor a muffin, 
when I do that, I'm feeling into it right now. And when I slow down, I can feel a little connection with them. A little sense of warmth with them. A little sense of a loosening of my separate self. In the dish line here, when I wash my dishes, I'm feeling into, ah, I'm so happy that I can do this so the dishwasher who's on doing the yogi job doesn't have to. There's a little, little happiness there in doing that task. So we can look for this generosity in many places and take a little happiness and let that calm and support the system to calm. And so there's other suttas, friends, um, that have this same progression, but a different doorway in to the joy. So there'll be a little different doorway, and then the joy takes over, and the whole sequence just falls from there. I'll read one more more kind of example of this, and this is from uh, Visaka, who was a wonderful generous laywoman. She was a huge supporter of the Buddha. And um, also a very deep practitioner. And this is from the Vinaya. Once Visaka gave a learned explanation of the benefits she expected from her generosity. When the Buddha asked her what she saw as the advantages of her great generosity. She said that when she hears that a particular monk or nun has attained any of the fruits of recluseship, and if that monk or nun has visited Savati, she would be certain that he or she had taken had partaken of the offerings she constantly makes. When she reflects that she has contributed in some measure to their spiritual distinction, great delight arises in her. Joy arises in the mind that is delighted. When the mind is joyful, the body relaxes. When the body relaxes, a sense of ease is experienced which helps the mind to be concentrated. That helps the development of the spiritual faculties, the spiritual powers, and the factors of enlightenment. These are the advantages she hopes for by her generosity. The Buddha was so pleased with her reply that he exclaimed, Sadhu, 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 in approbation. And there, again, we can see this sequence, this arc. She tuned into her generosity, which gave her joy, and that calmed the body, allowed delight, you know, uh, and then there was the delight of calmness and the happiness of concentration. So the happy, the joys, the different flavors are mixed in there and supporting calm and concentration. And then the concentrated mind is more ready or more able or more able to fall into the spiritual faculties, powers, and factors of awakening. And so, friends, this... Joy may feel far away, but we can glimpse these, these quiet joys, these worldly, unworldly, and more than unworldly joys. And 
many times I find the worldly joys can support the unworldly joys and support the greater than unworldly joy. And I have an example of this. One time I was walking in my back alley. No, I wasn't walking in the back alley. I was in the house and I got a phone call that upset me. And I was very agitated. And I didn't know what to do, so I went walking in the back alley. And I was agitated still. I was walking, walking, agitated, agitated. And I just stopped for a moment and I said to myself, is there any quiet joy here? And the sun was on my face. And I noticed that worldly joy. And that worldly joy just let my whole body relax and let my mind let go. And so then I tasted the sun, the the worldly joy, and the greater than unworldly joy, the joy of letting go. Letting go of clinging to the, trying to figure out what to do with the phone call, the clinging of having to do it right, the clinging of finding the perfect response. Let that go. And then I could go back inside and make the phone call. And so these joys support each other, or can support each other. Here's a poem about worldly joy supporting unworldly, or supporting the more unworldly than unworldly joy. I love the, I love the kind of the tongue twisters. (laughs) I find joy in them. So this is a poem from Mary Oliver. It's called Praying. It doesn't have to be the blue iris. It could be weeds in a vacant lot or a few small stones. Just pay attention. Then patch a few words together. And don't try to make them elaborate. This isn't a contest, but the doorway into thanks and the silence in which another voice may speak. And this joy, friends, this joy, this other voice that speaks, or this other um, aspect of our experience, we can rest into this mystery, this unworldly, more than unworldly joy, this joy that's more unworldly than unworldly, this joy of letting go, is understood as a reliable joy. The joy that's always there when we can turn to this letting go, that can rise as we find the doorway into it. This joy that's always available. And I'd like to close with two, one, one um, other piece and then a poem. This sense of this joy being 
not a worldly joy that's dependent on worldly conditions, but a, a, a joy that we can touch as an inner wellspring. There's a beautiful song called This Joy. And uh, I'm going to I'm going to sing a little bit of it. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. This joy that I have, the world didn't give it to me. The world didn't give it. The world can't take it away. And I'd like to close with a poem. This is a poem about this joy by Rio Khan. This joy and also awakening. More, more accurately, maybe this poem's about the... Yeah, it's about awakening and about this more unworldly than unworldly joy. This letting go. And the, the first line has the word desire in it. And we can understand that as the clinging desire. So, Ryokan says, Without desire, everything is sufficient. Without seeking, or sorry, with seeking, myriad things are impoverished. Plain vegetables can soothe hunger. A patched robe is enough to cover this bent old body. Alone I hike with a deer. Tearfully I sing with village children. The stream beneath the cliff cleanses my ears. The pine on the mountain top fits my heart. Shall we sit for a minute, friends? Seeing, is there any quiet joy here now?
you friends for your practice. Let's chant. Mm-hmm.